This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. Today we see our heroes jump into high-speed aircraft with daring maneuvers in the 23rd century. Well, they beam in. It's cool. It's modern. It's a budget saver. And it is incredibly dangerous. That is for sure. Transporters were lifesavers and life takers. They were life splitters and injectors. Their use and their creation has been extremely entertaining, if not, well, somewhat confusing when it comes to their capabilities. So. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's talk about this. Uh, I think, you know, I think yeah. we're energized now to talk about the impacts, issues, and problem-solving plots using the transporter. So off the top here, Ken, mm-hmm. the transporter itself, if it existed in the real world, which they're working on, like like much Star Trek technology, uh, people are working on this stuff as we speak, and uh, I, I doubt that it'll ever actually happen, at least in our lifetime, because it's a very intricate piece of machinery and technology, which I don't think I'd be comfortable using if it existed in the real world. Maybe maybe it's because of, you know, because uh, I've seen TV shows and movies like The Fly... <laughs> And other things that can go wrong, but well, would you use a transporter if it existed in the real world? I don't think I would. I think I'd be more like Dr. McCoy, like you said. And I think The Fly is the reason, more so, that movie, especially the remake with Jeff Goldblum. Mm. Was it Brundle Fly? Is that what they called it? Yeah, that, that, is, a, yeah. that is a disgusting is, movie. Oh, it is just it is just gory as hell. And the, and the premise of it was uh, was pretty powerful. But I think that alone probably would have me saying... Uh, no. Did Trip absorb fly? No. <laughs> <laughs> Broken down to DNA level. Uh oh. Yeah, I, I don't uh I don't see that happening. What about yourself? Uh, no, I don't think I would, because well well here's the crux of the issue, right? And this is probably why I wouldn't I think the transport kills you and makes a copy of you at the its new location. I don't think it's not like you know, there's lots of uh, various modes of transportation in science fiction, right? Like, like 
sliders or Stargate. You go through a portal, right? And you start right. in your one place and you end in the next place. To use a Star Trek analogy, it's like the Iconian gateway you see on you know, TNG and on Deep Space Nine for an episode. So great continuity there, guys. But you're not stepping through something and going somewhere else. You're literally being disassembled at an atomic level and being reassembled at a new location. Yeah, I, I, that doesn't sound like you as being retained. Then, like, where does your, if you want to get all metaphysical here, where does, like, your soul go? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, that's why everyone in Star Trek is an atheist, because their souls get destroyed once they go through the <laughs> transporter. It makes so much sense now that we talk it out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way of looking at it, I guess. I I, <laughs> I, I never, I, I guess I never subscribed to the fact that they were just making a copy of you someplace else, and I know that's not what you're saying, that everything, you know, I just... From the molecular level, you're you're disassembled and reassembled. I just always yeah, you're 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 converted to energy, zapped to a spot and reconverted to a physical form. I get it. Um you know, I just it's funny because throughout the series, throughout every it's like uh, you know, I, I travel all the time, right? And all you hear is how safe travel is. And it's it's kind of warming and it is true that, you know, traveling by air is safer than by car and all that other stuff. And they, they kind of talk about transporter technology the same way. However, the evidence and the statistics don't kind of point to it as we watch through all the various shows and series and movies, does it? You think the first time a transporter broke down, they would just stop using it indefinitely? I mean, because you look at you know the Enterprise and TOS. I mean, so that's one ship in a fleet, and it has a handful of issues over a five year span. And then you extrapolate that to like all the other ships, and then you look, you know. 80 years later to the next gen era and there's there's even more there's even there's even a higher ratio of transport accidents and it's just it's just it's just scary stuff and i just wouldn't be comfortable using it because i think about spoilers here for the movie the prestige by the way which is a great movie so if you haven't seen movie. it yeah i don't want to spoil it for you so i'm going to count to three and i'm going to say my spoiler so you have been warned okay one two three so in the prestige, you know, the whole twist is Wolverine is using this machine. <laughs> and and before you know the twist, you think you don't know what's going on with it, right? But you're seeing that that he has this great magic trick called the transported man. There you go, there's your tie-in, right? right? And you can't figure out like and and Batman is trying to figure out, you know, cuz Batman <laughs> versus Wolverine, that's why it's a great movie. Uh <laughs> he has Alfred's help too. But yeah, Batman's sure. trying to figure out how to uh, copy Wolverine's um, magic trick, right? And right. it's called the Transported Man. And what happens is, you know, uh, Wolverine's on stage and he disappears, and he pops back up like across the auditorium in the audience, and and you can't really figure it out. But a- as it's revealed over the film, what's happening is he is killing himself on the stage, dropping him to a uh, a water t- tank uh, with a lock on it, so he can't escape and another one of himself is appearing in the audience, and the whole question in there is, like, which is the real one, but they're both the real one? That's what's creepy to me, because from from their perspective, both of them are the real Wolverine, right? So you thought, you step into this machine, you think, okay, the other guy's going to die, but I'm going to turn out all right. But every night, both happens, and they're both the real version. So I mean, that's that's kind of how I see the transporter. But instead of getting trapped in a, you know, a water tank, you just disappear into the ether of the circuitry of the transporter, and the, and the new you pops up at at location B. So 
that that is why I wouldn't want to use the transporter. That's my interpretation of it. Hmm. Well, it sounds like it's almost a conspiracy amongst the Federation, then, isn't it? So they're selling you one thing, but this is what really happens with your view. Uh, I don't think that's the case, but you know, it it could be. I mean, that that in itself could be a um, a wonderful story plot for maybe a new series. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps a prequel series where they're still figuring out the technology. Um, you know, if they ever decide to do a prequel show to, to TOS, you know, yeah, yeah. I think th- would... there's one or two ideas that could work, but we'll see if they ever do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it would be. I mean, you know, I think if you set it roughly 10, 15 years before TOS, it would be the perfect mm. time. I was thinking more 100 years before, but I think either might work. Uh, mm. We'll see. Those are Ken and I's first thoughts on our personal use of a transporter. So uh, a little more doom and gloom from my end. Uh, mm-hmm. I know we both said no. I know I went to some dark places there. But seriously, if you think about it, <laughs> it's a death machine. So. <laughs> well, I like I like the uh, the death machine kind of view you have on it. I also think if Oliver Stone was to help co-write a, uh, a, a, a transported technology anthology, that would be interesting as well. Back and to the left. Yeah. Oh, man. So let's delve into it here and do what we do on, on Standard River. We're going to just run through... Now, a lot of the instances on, on TOS and, and its related series, uh, like mm-hmm. TAS, we're going to d- dabble into some of that. So our apologies, Saturday Morning Trek. And, you know, there is, there's a big TOS transporter tie into TNG, so we're going to dabble into some of that. Apologies, Earl Grey. Oh, don't and, apologize to Earl Grey. <laughs> okay, well, apology rescinded due to, my, <laughs> due to my co-host insistence, guys. So let's get into it. Let's go. Let's start with Enemy Within, Zach. So they have a bunch of issues with this one, right? Um, they transport to this planet a landing party without the first officer and the captain and the uh, and 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 the doc, right? Which is pretty wow, that's rare. true. You know, we were just talking about that, and yeah. the, the more we talk about it, the, the more instances we find. So that another is, another preconception is. to us that mm-hmm. it's only right about eighty percent of the time and not ninety nine like we thought. Mm-hmm. But Captain Kirk is split in two. Uh, one that uh, divides his personality, good versus evil, essentially, or aggressive versus calm, or however you want to, however you want to word it. And um, I-, I thought it was a, a really, really good episode. It was really creepy, and uh, and William Shatner did a, a great job with this. But they spend most of the episode trying to figure out how to make the transporter work through this environment. Forgetting, of course, that there's a shuttle sitting there too. We know that, but that's that's that we, that we have already addressed that. So I'm not going to go down that trope. However, it also brings up the world famous, ladies and gentlemen, space dog. I love the space dog, and he was one mean space dog when he was split. The costume on on the space dog, it's like, I know you guys are trying to show us that it's the future, but you could have just had a, a normal dog. <laughs> it didn't need to be pink and have a <laughs> unicorn unicorn dog. It's like you didn't need to go that route. It had anyway. extra fluff. It had some antennae. I thought it was great. It was the ultimate space dog. So, well, this episode here, it's it's it, they never say exactly what breaks the transporter, but basically it's that guy beaming up with all that dust on him, uh, and that's what kind of throws it out of whack because everything's obviously everything's working fine up to that point uh, because people are beaming down, people are beaming up. You know, Kirk beams down there. Uh, although, although one one problem with the transporter they don't even address in the episode is apparently somewhere in the transporter, 
Other one was beaming down or beaming up. They remove it removes Kirk's uh, Delta Shield from his uniform. <laughs> He's walking around on the planet without a Delta Shield, so that that's a transporter of mistake that nobody mentions. Or the fact that it pops on all by itself when nobody's around. That's kind of yeah. scary too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, obviously, the, the, this is um, this is in the f- first batch of episodes here. So this is the the real first time they they take advantage of the fact that hey, what if this amazing piece of sophisticated technology doesn't work right? And um, you know, obviously, it's more about the good versus evil, the uh, the nature of man. You know, the kind of Doctor Jackal, Mister Hyde thing they're exploring here, than the the techno babble of why it doesn't work and how it broke Kirk in two and all this and that. Uh, so, so you have to have a certain suspension of disbelief to go on this journey, this character study of not just Kirk, but of character study of man himself, right? That's right. That's right. And it was a it really was a great episode. It was clever in its design and every even with the space dog, it was still pretty clever, I thought. And well done. I mean, it's one of one of the better episodes and I thought one of the better acted episodes. And I think it um it shows that there's 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 good and bad in all of us. Um there's there's that that aggressive side I think that that develops our courageous or our ability to leap and to jump into things and also it needs to be controlled by that that other side of our brain so i thought it was it, it, it told a good story to me yeah. and, and to call forward to to and and this is not a joke i mean it's not ironic at all but one of my favorite moments in star trek is from star trek 5 when kirk is doesn't want his pain to be taken away by cyborg he's like i need my pain you that's know? right and you know that shows like this episode you know might have taught him like hey look i, I need this this, whatever bad stuff that I have going on, I need that to be who I am. I'm incomplete without it. And I thought that was a very interesting take on things. It's like, yeah, yeah. and that's the whole point of Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde, right? Like, they, he was trying to get rid of the bad stuff, mm-hmm. but, like, he kind of needs both, and bad stuff by itself is bad. You know, so that that's what it is. It's like a sci-fi reinterpretation of it. And uh, that is an important lesson to learn because you, th- you think, oh, no, if I could just get rid of all this negative stuff, my life would be better. It would make everybody else's life better. I know this Kirk you see as time goes on, like he gets more and more ineffectual, indecisive, you know, mm-hmm. can't make decisions. Spock has to step in for him. So uh, again, so, so using something sophisticated like the transporter to, to, to set up an interesting story. Now, if we, if we do want to talk about the physics here, so they beam Kirk up, right? Right. And he's fine. And he walks off. He's a little uh, woozy. He's a little yeah, woozy. He, he's a little woozy. So there's like, oh, what's going on here? Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, half of myself was in split away. This is weird feeling. So, but but obviously, all the matter is there. Like he's right. not like an incomplete person or anything. Uh, so then everybody leaves, and then I guess that yeah, it's odd that everybody just leaves the transporter room. I know there's all those jokes about how Chief O'Brien is just like standing there all day long. It's like a web comic about it. It's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I guess in TOS, you know, they're like, you know what? That's just a waste. You don't have to stand there the whole time. <laughs> um, so everybody just leaves. And like you said, the transporter comes on by itself a little later. And we have this this uh, very iconic, like, um, up angle of Kirk with, like, some heavy eyeshadow and, eye, and like, eyelashes. <laughs> like, clearly right. the clearly the evil Kirk. Clearly. Um, but where where does that matter come from? You know, if they convert matter and energy back into matter, they did that with Kirk. So, like... This is this is what I'm saying about the copying machine. Like this would imply like copies are made, and not just like A to B, because there's a whole there's a complete other person here. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it the the metaphysical, emotional, mental state, however you want to describe it, that's what's split in two. But like you know, you have a full Kirk. So that's I'm, I'm not sure how the science uh, pans out on that on that front, Ken. 
Yeah, I'm not sure either. I, I didn't even think about until you were just saying that. Uh, I mean, we've always said you know, that that it's a faux copy, it's a new copy, it's a fresh. Where's your soul goal? And it just splits it in two here. But there's also, I guess, a um, another element that could be looked at to that. I mean, you talk about cloning. This would be the perfect instrument to do that, just based on what we saw here too, right? That it could replicate a person one, two, or three times is kind of scary. And of course, they wrap it up by putting Kirk back through the transporter. Um, and it works, you know. They 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 beam him out and they beam him back, and he's uh, he's he's whole again. So uh, yes. again, I, I wonder how they combined the matter of the two of them, because uh, again, there's two Kirks here. So that that makes me worry about like the whole fly situation. Right? Okay, you get these two things on the pad here, and then we're gonna beam it out, and we can like, is there a setting where it's just like combine or not combine? <laughs> You know, obviously, like, <laughs> obviously, it's that little blinking blue button that's kind of shaped like a warp skittle on the right side that does that. Oh, God. I'll I'll look for that in those close-ups of not James Dewan's hands next time I watch the episode. There you go. Um, there you go. And don't forget, they had to do some animal testing here. Oh yeah, right? <laughs> no actual unicorn dogs were hurt when they came this episode. <laughs> it was not. It was not a pleasant dog at the end. All right, so the next one we have is Tomorrow is Yesterday. This is a, this is a good call-out. This is where I think um, you know, we, we start to see the evolution even more of the transporter as far as how it could be utilized in, I guess, beaming down one's essence into a certain time frame, right? Yeah, so we see, have, we're getting metaphysical here again, aren't we, Ken? <laughs> Let's get metaphysical. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we are. This one is, is really interesting. You know, the, the, the Enterprise is thrown back into time. It's, it's being chased by a, um, a fighter jet um, and Captain Christopher. Yeah, Captain Christopher. He, uh, you know, winds up because his plane is disintegrating because the tractor beam is too powerful for that jet and yada, yada. But... At any rate, they, they wind up going full circle. They, they, they accidentally beam a security guard. All kinds of things happen. But as they leave and they figure out how to get back to their own time, they have to beam people that are on a ship that time has moved forward on back into another instance of time using the transporter. Very clever, I thought. Uh, very, very interesting how they do that. So you're not, you're not beaming a person... You're beaming, you're beaming their essence back into the person's sort of, kind of, yeah. All right, you go on this one now. This is even more complicated than the last one. <laughs> it's much more complicated. Because the last one, like, okay, it splits you in two. If you just undo that, you know, you can put them back together. I mean, that I, I, I question the science, but at least there is some method to that madness. With Tomorrow's Yesterday, I mean, they were, this is early in Star Trek's run. They, they hadn't quite figured this stuff out yet. So, so they're 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 going around the Earth at you know, or I'm sorry, they're going around the Sun at warp speed using this using the slingshot effect, and under, in order to not have to like keep, you know, Captain Christopher and like the security guard or whatever, like prisoners forever on their ship, they uh, they they beam them back. Like I guess they're they're tracking the time where they where they where they they pass the exact moment where they initially beam them up, and they beam them back down into that moment, uh, and that's all well and good. Like it's if you know from from Earth's perspective or something, if you want no one to realize that they've been gone and or, you know et cetera et cetera, right? right. So that, it could have worked that way had those people retained the knowledge of like you know they were you know of that extra day or whatever. Like uh like in the Deep Space Nine episode, uh, Visionary, right? Where O'Brien yeah. like he keeps flashing forward six hours or something. 
Uh, and then the feature one ends up going back because there's a radiation problem. That's so, so for a while he's like out of, out of sync and he like knows what's going to happen. You know, that's a great last scene in that episode. He's like, Hey, Quark, Dabo. And I was like, Dabo. <laughs> so, uh, that, that's a nice moment. But, you know, just having that future knowledge would have been fine. But, you know, they had to be like, no, they can't remember anything. It's going to screw up the timeline because Star Trek's very concerned about screwing up the timeline at this point. Uh, Once upon a time, it was. A time. I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. So, it's just, I don't care. How, I don't care if you time it to the second. If you beam that person back to when they disappeared, it, it doesn't they're still going to not like forget. They don't revert back to their mind of like a few hours ago. If it's truly this person, you know what I'm saying? So again, the case, it's a death machine (laughs) because you just took this person. (laughs) You took this person from who who had lived a week or whatever, not that long, but then you beam them back into their older self and all the life and experiences and everything that person experienced have disappeared. So that's right. That's a scary thought. It is a scary thought. It also goes back to my theories that there's no such thing as alternate timelines, just one, and they had to go back and fix it. Right? So that was also an interesting premise of that show is that you know you could have you could have sprung it into two separate directions, Alt and Prime and all that other stuff. Thank God they didn't do that. So I, I like the fact that what they did was um was I'm glad the direction they took. But you're right. It made it. It did make any sense. They should have been able to remember because it's the same person. Although it probably um, the the thoughts and memories and all that other stuff probably would have been more like an aberration or a dream, or you know something they couldn't get their arms around. So maybe they both go stark raving mad as time goes on. Who knows? Who knows? It is it is complex. Yeah, that's a good point about the the kind of deja vu or echoes of memories that you mentioned there because. There's a novel called Provenance of Shadows, and it's part of the Crucible trilogy that came out for the 40th anniversary of Star Trek. It's by David R. George III. This is my favorite series of Star Trek books. It's a trilogy. It ties into The City on the Edge of Forever. There's a book on McCoy. There's a book on Spock. There's a book on Kirk. And it talks about how the experiences of that episode like impact the rest of their lives, past, present, future, and all that. So it's, 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 a, good, it's a good read. It's a great love letter to, to TOS uh, but the first the first book is the McCoy book. It's called Providence of Shadows, and what it does it it tells parallel timelines about like the uh, McCoy that went back in time and saved a youth killer and that whole timeline, and then the McCoy that you know obviously that we know that that continued on lived and he and he has there's things like that that happen like he has memories and stuff of things that he never did, but since he did it in in this alternate timeline that was undone like they still kind of exist because it did happen. And you know it, it, it unhappened, but it still happened. You know, so th- so they address some stuff like that. It's very interesting. Uh, and uh, anyway, I recommend seriously. I recommend the Crucible trilogy for anyone who who might uh, want to read some Star Trek books. And that's exactly what happens in it. You know, so so there are repercussions, even though like you know you hit the reset button. You know, for the universe, like, there are like echoes of of something that you know if you experienced it uh, as a person uh, in that in that timeline that that was undone. It's still on some in some capacity. It's 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 part of you. You know, I don't know which part, but it's part of you still. So that's the interesting, um, and again, metaphysical side effect of this stuff. <laughs> okay, it sounds like a very interesting read, and yeah, so it does tie back to our to our two Air Force gents who are now going a little bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> potentially, potentially. Exactly. We don't know for sure, but they could be. Okay, mirror, mirror. <laughs> Let's go mirror mirror. This is the ultimate, right? This this um 
This is this is the the the, the switcheroo during was it an ion storm? It was during a storm. Yeah, this Some classic sort Star of Trek storm. trope is uh, ion storm. Iron the, storm. Yeah, so iron iron storms cause a lot of problems, and um, so in this case though, it creates a um, a whole different alternate universe. And I thought, man, this is. This is one of the plot lines that have definitely been very successful and have grown into all the... Well, it didn't grow into TNG at all, which is interesting. But it did follow up into the other series, and I think that's pretty pretty cool and probably one of the best episodes of Enterprise, too. But uh, at any rate, I, I, I think that in this case, right, Iron Storm, um, two Kirks, two Spocks, two Scotties, Ahuras, right, um, beam in and beam off a, a planet. Uh, alternate universes collide. You have... The, the evil imperial universe then crossing with the Federation and, you know, two very different directions. And I thought it was, um, oh, this is one of my favorite episodes. I love Mirror Mirror. But this is great tech, transported technology with a lot of things that coincidentally have to come together at the exact same times. And they, they pull it off pretty well. Yeah, the whole reason this incident occurs is that, you know, both the, the exact same la- complement of landing party are beaming up at the exact same time from two different universes. So it's like a once in infinity chance, right? right. Uh, and then you add in the ion storm and, and that's that's why we get what we get in this episode. And um it's it's very interesting, obviously. Uh, you know, got got to give credit where credit is due. This is not the first time there was an alternate universe on TOS. The alternative factor did introduce that concept, but uh you know, Star Trek fashion, you introduce something that doesn't quite doesn't quite hit, you know. That they 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 take they they take a step back, they reassess, they come at it with a new angle. And it's much more successful, and that's what happens here in this episode. So the transporter it becomes this this portal to a parallel universe, right? Which is again another another insane use for this. I'm sure this was not intended when they created this thing, um, and that that's a scary thought, you know. I mean, they're they're just you know they're beaming up and. And then they wake up and they're in like an alternate universe and, and, and they don't even know how to get back. You know, they, the, the whole episode is like, hey, we got to get out of here as soon as possible because this island storm is going to pass. So that was the, the X element that allowed them to go back and forth. And they don't understand it either, but they're like, look, this is how we, we got here. This has to be the way we get back. And we have to – there's a ticking clock on top of all the other intrigue going on in this episode, which makes it so interesting. But, but man, <laughs> talk, about, talk about another just, just reason not to use this thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, opening doors to parallel universes with bad people, not fun at all. Not fun at all. So, and you know, it, it's interesting, too, because when you think of um, all the different universes that open, what was that TNG episode where they, they see the thousands of enterprises there at the end? Parallels. When, when, parallel, when, when Worf is going in between and, and all of that. I didn't, I didn't pick up the nasty ones. <laughs> I yeah. just saw that. <laughs> and all the other. So it's the it's the uh, utopian twenty first century. Can they all just want to help? Oh, sure, Worf, we believe you. We'll help you out. Uh, except for the one one with crazy Riker, yeah, his crazy beard, which was that was more sad than evil. You know, it, it was sad. Yeah, guys. they lost. Yeah, they were getting their butts kicked. So yeah, it was it was a shame. But anyway, I, I digress, and I do that often. But like I said, this was a um, a very terrifying aspect of the transporter that that once again we have outside elements that were not considered when using the transporter and you would assume or think that if you're coming across something that maybe has not been done before that the use of the transporter may be one of those things you go you know what we're going to shuttle this time because there's a storm brewing it's not safe 
or you know it, or it just hasn't been tested uh, or used when these these occurrences are happening so and when you go to all these different worlds and you're you're unless we find that there's a universal truth of elements across the universe which could may or may not be the case um you know there's there's no way you're going to be able to continue to use the transporter uh, for every, as, as Spock said, for everything, there's a first time. And so you would almost want to do some kind of a test. You know, maybe you have a fleet of space dogs that you beam up and beam down, beam up and beam down before you, you send people through it. And um, I'm just kidding, PETA people and all those folks. I'm just saying it's just one of those things where yeah, you, know, you, you, you need cats, to do some. Dogs, yeah. <laughs> oh, my friend, with this crew out there, you just, oh. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking of our, our two the journey friends again. You have just you've just ingratiated yourself to many. Any rate, um, it, it, there there has to be something that they could test. Maybe inanimate, something biological. I don't know, but it is one of those things where there should be safeguards put in place because these things seem to happen a little too often. My my thought. Mirror mirror. Anyway, great episode. Great great great. Uh, uh, flaw discovered or big risk. You know, it, it seems like the gates get weaker and weaker. On the on our old little friend, the transporter. But anyway, we move on. I'll let you take the helm here on TAS. We're going to dabble into uh, some Saturday morning Trek territory. We're going to talk about TAS. We we can talk about this kind of as a as a whole. Um, but but TAS right it had uh, had twenty two episodes of the of the animated series, and uh, three of them have transporter. Uh, I, I would say I won't say accidents. But transferring being used in, in again, ways that was not part of the owner's manual. We'll put it that way. So, the uh, I, I don't even know how to pronounce this word. Lorelei? Lorelei signal. Thank you, Ken. Lorelei, sure. Much more, a much more cultured man than myself uh, knows how to pronounce. I'm sure this is Greek or Roman or basically it's talking about the sirens or something, right? It's like space sirens, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, The song of the sirens. That's there right. you go, exactly. Or the siren song, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is the episode where the uh, Enterprise comes across a planet ruled by women, and Uhura gets to take command, so it's, it's notable for that. But what happens on, on this planet is the, these alien women, they, they put these headbands on the landing party, and they, they basically suck their health. So they're a bunch of succubuses, I guess, or incubuses, or whatever, one of the two. I don't <laughs> Again, mythology knowledge fails me in this moment, Ken. But anyway, they're sucking all the youth and vitality from, from, from the men, so Kirk spock mccoy in a red shirt who shockingly doesn't die i guess because it's a saturday morning cartoon <laughs> but if this was tos that guy totally would have died first <laughs> to, to prove a point <laughs> um but you know the uh, uhura and nurse chapel save the day and then spock comes up with the idea of using the uh their transporter patterns that have been stored in the transporter mm-hmm. to yep. revert them back to who they were but before they beam down and lost all of their uh, their youth, so this is and, th- and so this episode here establishes a, a trope that we we see again in, in TAS twice because they use it for the exact same thing all three times we see this kind of thing in TAS. Uh, it's it's pretty much undoing whatever had bad had been done to you mm-hmm. by just running you through the transporter again. Uh, because yeah, they all they all come out and they're and they're youthful and like oh great hey how's how's it going everybody we're young again, uh, kind of ridiculous because like if anything ever bad ever like if you were on a landing party mission right the, the precedent this establishes right mm-hmm. if you're if you're on a landing party mission and you get injured 
and you're in critical condition. Why even bother being needed to sick bay? Why not just run your path through the transporter, you know, and you're fine, right? All these red shirts who die, oh, Scotty, can you just, you know, uh, control option Z on the transporter here and get this guy back, you know, before we beam him down, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and all the main characters who die, you know, Tasha Yar and TNG, hey, can we just beam her back up from her original pattern, you know? So it, uh, it establishes a very dangerous precedent, Ken. It does. It does. And it's used a lot, but it's never used to... It's, it, is there an incident where they do bring somebody back to life using... I'm trying to think through all the shows, and I can't recall it. They're, See, you know, if, again, if they, ever, if they ever make a prequel series to TOS, and, I, you know, they, uh-huh. I, you know maybe, they, maybe they will, maybe they won't, I don't know. Uh, that would be a great uh, moral dilemma, like when they just invent this transfer, and like, hey, guys, check it out. Look what we can do. You know, right. but but then it's like it's like Pet Cemetery or something, right? It's not quite the same, and there's like a like a price to be paid by this. Like the universe is trying to balance itself out or something. That would be a creepy episode. So but when, in in TNG, when uh, Pulaski is a victim of that that, eight, that that accelerated aging process, they don't have the pattern buffer, which has all been you know <laughs> TNG goes nuts with the technology on this stuff. I mean, they they really try to put a science to it. They have to them. they have to go get her DNA. Like right, they hair. have to go get her DNA. They get it from her hairbrush or whatnot, and then they're allowed to recreate her the way she should be in the system. So it's not consistent in the methodologies, but the pattern buffers, right, or the pattern storage, that's where it gets a little crazy. But you're right. It does open the the door to a whole different philosophical discussion here as to what it could be used for. However, it is never brought up that way. Right, it is never. You never hear of something like um, the Prime Directive when it comes to using the transporter and what it can be used for. As far as, as far as I know, you know, for the damages that it may cause, you can go back and and repair. And for incidents that happen, it is not a, you know, it it's not as ethical and uh, as an issue as going back in time and correcting an issue. Right, but. And it should be though. I mean, it should be in, the, in that same that same level. You cannot use the transporter for this, that, or the other thing, or you can. And I don't know what the right answer is, by the way. I'm just saying. To me, you're right. It would be an automatic reset button for anybody that that shot or killed or or whatever, if if they've established that their patterns are indeed stored, and you can, you know, you can regen, so to speak. I mean, there's so many implications. It's not just death. It's the aging process. It's all kinds of stuff. In theory, that could be manipulated with transporter technology. Well, and even it, it is. In, the ne- in the next episode for TS, mm-hmm. we'll talk about the Terratin incident. Terratin. Uh, Terratin. <laughs> uh, the Enterprise it, it responds to distress signal. Uh, it's a. Uh, it's from like you know two hundred year old Earth code, uh, mm-hmm. classic uh, Star Trek trope. An ancient Earth SOS captain of radio or something, right? Again, 200 to 300 years old is not ancient. Just throwing that out there. I'm a little rusty on my Morse code. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the, there's, this, uh, there's this radiation, right, uh, in this star and the, where they've gone to, and it's emanating radiation that's affecting everything organic, all organic material. So the crew and everything is shrinking, right? Right. Um, None of the technology or, and stuff get get shrunk because that's not how it works. So, I, you know, good good consistency of of logic there. Sure. And I, and I believe there's something about how their uniforms have an organic component to them. That's why they shrink too. Again, Saturday morning kids show, so we got to keep things family friendly. Uh, their clothes have to stay on. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the uh, Kirk eventually beams up. People keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller, but uh, they 
figure out okay we have to we have to beam down to the source of this distress signal and we'll figure it all out so it's it's kind of funny you see him like it's like honey guy shrunk the kids on the enterprise right you see all these right. and some, something you could never do in live action right because <laughs> right. you know the, the cost of that would be enormous but it's pretty cool to, again taking advantage of the animated form of star trek which was uh, refreshing Sure. So you see them all, they're like climbing on the transport. They get like all these, these pulleys and levees to make it work, you know? And, um, and, and, and so Kirk beams down and the transporter immediately fixes his problem. He runs into the transport. He's a full size again. Right. Yep. So that's how, and then, you know, he talks to the guys on the planet, like, yeah, this radiation made it smaller, you know, and then they, uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. It's a misunderstanding because they thought they'd been like attacked by some shrinking ray. But in fact, it was just, you know, a side effect of, of the environment. So classic Star Trek misunderstanding, They've run everybody through the transporter. Everybody's fixed. Uh, on to our next mission, right? So again, it's like using the transporter as a reset button to fix the plot of the episode. Uh, this one is a little like, well, again, it, it's just as it's just as out there <laughs> as the last one. It's like you're old, use the transporter, get young again. You shrink, use the transporter, get back to your normal size, right? <laughs> Bing, bang, boom. Yeah, here we go again. Yeah, yep, yep. And then they use it again, like like literally the, the same exact thing in the counterclock incident, which, um, where the Enterprise uh, is unwillingly pulled into a an, an, another alternate universe. Here we go again, Ken. <laughs> but, here uh, we go again. It's where time runs backwards. Everybody's like Benjamin Button, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you meet this woman scientist and there's this guy in a crib and that's her like grandfather right and her son is this old man so it's it's some weird high concept stuff i guess but uh again everyone on the crew is getting younger okay uh but there's a tie in here we can see robert april the first captain of the enterprise and his wife uh, mm-hmm. robert april which is who has finally been made officially canon now by uh and a lot of people go back and forth on the animated series i consider it canon but a lot of people don't so, including Gene Roddenberry for a while. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> but uh, finally, Star Trek Discovery made Robert April Cannon. He was on the little list of, like, you know, great captains in Starfleet history. <laughs> so, yes, yes. Good, good to know that. But, uh, uh, of course, and, of course, voiced by James Doohan in this episode, uh, as, as, as 80% of all TAS guest stars were. But so him and his wife come on board, and they're, you know, they're being kind of forced into retirement, which is, which is odd in the 23rd century. They would still have that. So there's a lot of talk about their age and all this stuff. Um, but their age is what saves the day at the end because, you know, the crew is all, you know, aging backwards and backwards and backwards. And it's funny to see, like, these little baby versions of the crew. It's like Muppet Babies for Star Trek. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think Eric's I is think my favorite. You just came up, I think you just came up with the title of this episode. <laughs> we'll see. I, I think, think there's, so. There's a couple of options. That, that, let's keep my... Uh, as, our, our, our initial one's a little good, but I, I, yeah, I like that. Muppet Babies for Star Trek. I like that. Anyway, well, go on. We, we keep our ear out for these phrases to use as the titles. Yeah, guys, so. maybe because we're in Aaron's territory, we got to steer clear. But yeah. anyway, I like that. I do like that. Very <laughs> clever. I, I think Eric's is my favorite. He looks the goofiest, and he looks the most like a Muppet, so that's why... <laughs> <laughs> little baby eric's uh but uh robert april and his wife are, are young enough to to save the day and then when it comes time to save you know to restore themselves with a the proper age they uh, uh they decide you know you know what we live life it was good you know we're gonna we're gonna go back we're gonna we're gonna quote unquote do the right thing right and and go back to what our proper age should be because you know they they could not have gone through the transporter and stayed young and live life again you know that's right, that's right. uh but but what what would you have done in that situation, Ken? I would have gone back. Yeah, you gotten old again. Nope, 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 nope. I would, I would, would not <laughs> have gone back. Okay. No, I would not have gone back. I'm sorry. I would have, I would have stayed young. I would have found a way. Yep, that is, 
pretty much how I, I look at things. Well, it, it, you don't have to find a way. You're just you're that way. You have to go out of your way to come old again, which is absurd. That's that's what I'm saying. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm saying today, if I found a way, <laughs> I'd do it in a heartbeat. Why not? Those but, enlightened, uh, enlightened 23rd century humans, no better than us, though, right? I, I guess so. I, I mean, it's there. there is something noble in saying that you've had your time, you've had your day. Um, the speed in which time flies, I think, impacts us all a little bit. But yeah, for me, I mean, it was very, very noble that they've had their time. That doesn't mean that you, you, just because you get young again, and we saw this in TNG, and we've seen it in other things, uh, that you have to step on somebody else's career. By the way, I mean that's that's kind of what it was implying. It's like, oh, we've had our day, and yada yada. And we it's move their on. time. It's like, well, it's it doesn't time. really. There's plenty of, of ships yeah, in the sea, a, right? <laughs> well, it's a big, it's a big universe, and it's like, hey, if I can have an extra forty years to live in the tropics and live in a hammock, okay. <laughs> what the hell? All, all, so, so my 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 uh, take on this is is, uh, is if anyone's seen Shrek two, right? The ending is like they, the Shrek and Fiona could stay like these beautiful humans, but instead, right. they, no, we're gonna be true to ourselves, and 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 we're gonna we're not gonna break this curse. We're gonna be ugly ogres for the rest of our lives. You know what? That's like a good message for kids. I will say because like sure. you see all these you see all these fairy tales where it's like oh this magic thing happened and they were beautiful and then they lived life and they were happy because they were beautiful, right? It's like no, just be yourself. Whether the 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 world thinks you're beautiful or ugly or whatever, who cares what they think? If you're happy with yourself and each other, embrace that and be who you are, right? And that's like that's the right. message. That's like the anti fairy tale. And that's what the great thing about well the first two Shrek movies anyway. They got kind of off track after that, but. That's what it reminds me of, you know. They're like, "No, we're gonna go back to um, who we right. are, the way we should be, and not like use this cheat to get out of things." Right. Beauty is in the eye. We move on. Right. <laughs> exactly. I do agree with that. I don't know how that got from the aging process to that, but anyway, that's okay. So we got three instances of the transfer in TAS. They're all pretty much exactly the same, mm-hmm. uh, but but of the three of them, I do like. I actually really like the counterclock incident, you know, because it ties in Robert April and they use the whole thing with them being older. Like to inform the story, it's not just some random extra D six machina. Like it was set up earlier in the episode where they were older, yeah. and then that ended up saving the day. And then at the end, they they rescind their the need to force retirement on them. It was can, it was a very clever. You know, it was it was a good episode. I agree. And Lorelai's yeah. signal, I enjoyed it a lot too. Tarantin, mm-hmm. I, I don't recall it as much, but the, I I did enjoy that. In fact, it was on TA. I was on Saturday Morning Trek where we kind of came up with a combination of uh, stories around that universe. It was kind of fun. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It it was it was very well done, and I I enjoyed seeing Robert April, and I'm glad he's real now, quote unquote. <laughs> I guess because it's all real. It's all anyway. real. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, we didn't have that. I didn't have that talking to you about Star Trek last week. We'll, I'll get to that, listeners. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, so we leave TAS and we come to the movie era, and. I can't think of a more shocking scene. I mean, the motion picture. Right? We're going into the motion picture. And, of course, you know, Star Trek, the motion picture was rated G, which for a lot of us we kind of raised our eyebrows at and went, okay, it's rated G. Even before I see it, I said, G, really? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no there's no bad language. There's no nudity. There's, there's nothing. And then there's this horrific, disgusting, well-played, terrifying transporter accident, right? Which highlights everything we've ever heard about McCoy's fears. Who then goes and uses it anyway? Afterwards? And like the next scene is McCoy beaming up. <laughs> yeah, we got it fixed. Yeah, we just, you know, we um, we, we we hoovered up the uh, the remnants of Sarek and that and that the, that poor crew person that we're trying to get on board down at the starbase or whatever back on Earth. But man, that was that was an awful scene. Uh, it, I mean, it was a great scene. It was, but it was it was so well done, and 
you know, I, I, I appreciated the drama of it, but that was the first time we've really seen, you know, an accident that, that caused horrific death and disfigurement. That was, that was pretty, that was pretty intense. What are your yeah. thoughts there, Zach? I'll definitely take being split into good and evil half. Yeah. <laughs> or getting transferred to a parallel universe or, you know, <laughs> becoming smaller or older or younger. Like those are all minor setbacks in your life, right? Uh, when you get turned into like a pile of goo, that's you can't really can't come back from that. No. <laughs> Did they not have their pattern in the pattern buffer, Ken? Could they not? Have I, I don't know, dude. But all I remember was that you know what we got back didn't live long. Yeah. Fortunately, right? Powerful line, and you're just like, and, you're, and, you're, you, and you don't see it, right? So your imagination you don't. makes this yeah. horrible, horrible vi- vi- uh, vision in your mind. Yeah, because you see, if you see still photos, right? They had the actors in the chamber, and they, um, you know, they show them kind of in a in a contorted view, right? And then they blur it up with the effects. And uh, and then you hear that god awful shrieking, and that is the first time I think we really hear voices, you know, while during transport. And um, it was even that effect was was awful. The the audio was like oh, you know, and um, yeah, and and you could tell too. It, it was it was just an interesting scene. I I don't know if it was if it was played correctly. I mean, you have Janice Rand there at the controls. And I kind of felt bad that she was kind of pushed out of the way because I figured she would know that better than an admiral would. But that's really not here nor there. But when she turned away, that's when you realize, oh, this is just getting intense. You know, this is something that just never happens, right? It just never happens. And now we're seeing it for the first time. It was it a was great scene, but, oh, oh if that one doesn't want you to, uh, to stay away from transporters, I don't know what will. That's a great call-out, Kanon. Kirk kind of, like, getting in the middle of things it's like dude like just let me do my job here you know maybe they would not have died if kirk didn't like stand aside <laughs> it's like what are, you, what are you gonna do you don't even know which way to the bridge you're engineering you're asking some random guy in the hallway but you're gonna just jump in the you know the transporter controls and, and try and save the day here like since when have we ever seen kirk use the transporter you know like maybe once or twice in tos um well, he. Uh, the only thing I'll say to it is this, right? I, I, I don't like the idea of pushing any technician that's supposed to be a, a, an expert in the field and driving it. But he was an engineer by training, and so Scotty was right there with him, right? And they're, you know, boost your, boost your matter gain. We need more signal, and they're trying to put it away. And then at the end, says to her, you know, there's nothing you could have done, Rand. It wasn't your fault. So if things were getting out of control and there wasn't much you could do, there is that piece of it where you could you could shield the crewman or the chief or the person from from having to to feel accountable or responsible for it, uh-huh. and I there's there's a little bit of nobility in that. Um, I killed going, him, not you. Don't worry. That type of thing, you know, like we we you know you had the the top engineer in Starfleet and Mister Scott there. You had somebody else who you know fairly decent engineer. Should Rand have stayed? I think in reality, yeah, that's that's probably how it should have worked. I didn't look at it as being a sexist thing or a macho thing. I just, you know, Kirk's always got to try to be the hero. But in this case, they let the hero fail. And I thought that was also humbling for Kirk. Mm-hmm. Because in this show, he gets humbled a lot. <laughs> he gets, you know, he, they, they, they play Kirk a little differently in the motion picture, right? They really do. You know, he, he's coming in. He's the, he's, the, he's the stud muffin admiral who's had all these experiences, and he just keeps tripping over himself. And it, it, it costs and it eventually winds up being the right move, but it's it's not the Kirk we know and love. And in this case, you know, he's he's running in to save the day, and he failed. Huh. So so I think that's a, a equally important piece of it, but it wasn't a believable piece to me. And just as as an aside, it was great to see Gracie Whitney back, Janice Rand. Uh, although a more appropriate person to be in the situ- situation would be Mr. Kyle, 
You know, we, we and we see him in Star Trek Two. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he was around. Just give him a phone call. You know, he's the guy that's always there next to Scotty. You know, maybe they want to show some career advancement for him. And he's already maybe he's already on the Reliant at this point, being a communications officer. But I was just thinking, like, you know, it's kind of a it's odd to see you talk about Kirk never using the transporter. What's, what's Janice Rand doing using the transporter? And uh, th- you know, and this is a complete aside. But I, you know, I recently was was rewatching some some Next Generation, and um, you know, before O'Brien gets really established in the second season, is like the transporter chief, right? Usually, right. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he was in a couple episodes of, of season one, but he wasn't a transporter chief. So, so who is who is the transporter chief? It seems to be in, the, in, the, in the, like the latter days of season one and TNG. It's always Tasha Yar. Tasha Yar is down the run of the transporter. I'm like, what is this? Like, <laughs> chief of security is down there running the transporter. <laughs> it's like in the, in these crucial situations. I just find it amusing. It's like she's the most qualified person to do it, but <laughs> it just makes me think of uh, having the right people in the right job, right? The right tool for the right job. How many times do I have to tell you? So that's right. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I think that the um, the way it works, from what I can see, is in the original series you had assigned transporter people, like Kyle, right? And they were crewmen, and it, it's considered a day-to-day device, an operation that, that runs fairly simplistically, needs its routine maintenance and all that other stuff. Then it gets more and more sophisticated. But as far as the crewmen that are assigned, like for Janice Rand, it's interesting because in the Voyager uh, show where, where they go back um, to, to you know through Tuvok's mind, however they get there, and you kind of get a glimpse that 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 Rand took the choice to go for a commission very late in life, right? So she she was a yeoman, she was enlisted, then she became a chief, and I guess, you know, from an admin to a transporter chief is kind of a leap, I would say. But I think it's I think it's more of a title than a rank. That's huh. that's what I'm guessing. It's like if you're if you're the if you're the person on duty, you are the transporter chief. You know, just like you're uh, the chief of communications or the chief of this. Not you're a chief petty officer. That's my guess, but I don't know. And, well, I just, uh, just found a new career path though for people because you know Janice Rand was was working on the transporter, and then she became like the communications officer on the Excelsior, right? And then Mr. Kyle was the transporter officer, and then he became the communications officer for the Reliant. So maybe there, maybe there's a logic to that, Ken. Maybe I, I think that well, Rand was also the executive officer, wasn't she on the uh, Excelsior? Ah, I don't recall. I think she was. I think she was, and I think that that was mentioned. You wouldn't know it in Star Trek Six, but you would know mm-hmm. it in the fla- in flashback. Is that what it was? Right. right. Uh, uh, and that's that's kind of where you get that. You know, she's she's making sure the crew's there, and she's she's all over the ship. And you know, at that point, she had been around. You know, Grace Lee Whitney, uh, God bless her, um, and, and God rest her soul. She was a terrible loss, but she. Um, she she's been through a lot. It looks like she was went through a lot in Starfleet, but I think that at the time when when Sulu was in charge, Rand was the EXO. Got it. Well, you know, to to, to wrap all this back around to the the initial uh, conversation here, did uh, we go on a tangent? No, <laughs> not us. Did I? Did I? I'm sorry. I think we all did. This whole <laughs> that's probably the first time I've ever done that. I apologize, <laughs> listeners. But uh, you know, the, the most effective transporter accident just for its pure visceral nature in the motion pictures the rated g as you said motion <laughs> picture amazing because uh, because i was going to say you know now that star trek you know it's on cbs all access they're they're dropping in some more mature things here and there like you know if the show continues and it would be as you know we were yes listeners we know there are prequel shows to tos i know somebody's gonna be like uh enterprise and discovery hello it's a joke so uh this earth humor confuses me captain but 
as discoveries on you know the this, this show uh it it opens up the opportunity to see like you could see like an actual gruesome transfer accident right and actually see it kind of like we do in the motion picture uh I, because you know this is i guess this is these streaming shows are basically rated r you know the marvel shows cbs all acts I, w- I would classify you know so with some of the stuff that that they've been doing in discovery you know i would classify that as a rated r like if it was an actual movie they'd slap an r rating on it so i'm glad i'm glad to know star trek is getting back to the rated g nature of the motion picture <laughs> <laughs> it can show us some some visceral stuff like that so who knows it's early days of transporters that and then would be the time to see mistakes yeah yeah i guess so i would think maybe many many years earlier than that so the next one that <clears throat> we quote unquote put up here <laughs> was relics now I, it feels a little odd sitting here talking about relics but we are because it involves our favorite and the best engineer in the history of starfleet montgomery scott and what is the clever little thing that Scott does to survive 85 years into the future, Zach? He puts himself in a transporter loop it's continuously. Him and his friend Franklin, who, who sadly doesn't make it. Uh, Frank, good old Franklin. Uh, <laughs> was he? Yeah, I wonder if he was related to the guy that they named the USS Franklin after. Maybe, maybe it is who they named the Franklin after. Uh, I don't think about that. You, you think Scotty was the legend. Maybe Franklin was the legend on that ship. Huh? Think about that, guys. The timeline just doesn't work, man. <laughs> <laughs> the first warp four capable ship he was around during the tos era anyway all that to say uh this mm. was a brilliant way mm. to bring scotty into the 24th century uh i liked how you know spock made it just by being a vulcan right mccoy yeah. made it because you know ate his vitamins and vegetables and you know as a, as a medical guy so of course he would you know live long enough through sheer just will and yep. being able to take care of yourself uh, and uh, and Scotty did it with a technology cheat because he's a technology master using the transporter. So right. I mean, I think that's a genius way. And of course, you know, I'm sure this was a story idea that was like bandied, bandied about, you know, beforehand. Oh, what if what if you use a transporter and find some guy from the past, right? But then when you make it Scotty, it's like, oh, of course, kind of like you know, with um, when Sarek when they brought Sarek into TNG, there was an idea of oh, what if what if we had a Vulcan kind of lose emotional control due to some like disease getting going? Like oh, but what if it's Sarek? What if it's a character we care about like that? And then just just you you make the story first and you plug in the TOS character and then that elevates it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, instead of the reverse, like generations, uh, where it's like here's a TOS character, uh, make this work. <laughs> You know, you, so you can see the two different paths to get to the story. So, and uh, and this was again, this was a great story about like age and relevancy. You know, and it was and, uh, you know Scotty feels and you know, he feels in, uh, insecure and inferior because he's in all, he he was the master of his domain right in the twenty third century. And he shows up in the twenty fourth century and he's basically an annoyance to Jordy. And Jordy, you know, Jordy, I, I feel like Jordy should have treated him with a little more respect, honestly, because this guy is like a legend. You know, uh, and. Of your own ship, you're the chief engineer of the Enterprise. He was the first chief engineer of the Enterprise or the original Enterprise. Treat the man with some respect, you know. Did you have you watched the Orville? I have not watched the Orville yet. Oh, okay, because Jordy just would have been classified as a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Thanks, Seth MacFarlane. Um, <laughs> and, um, anybody that's not acting lady or whatever, that's they're just very bold about using that word. And in that episode, until the end, I mean, he came around, but yeah, right. he was really... Uh, he soured the milk. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't... Jordy was, was awful. Anyway, I, and that's not his character by nature. I just don't, I don't know even why they took it in that direction, but I understood the point they were trying to make. Yeah, but... Uh... 
Scotty survives in the transporter, right? And they're on a movie era ship, right? The Janolan. That's right. And they and they and they oh look, there's a pattern in the buffer. Let's let's call it up. Let's beam it out. And what do they use? The TOS transporter effect. And I get why they did this. Again, it's the iconography winning over like the in universe logic. Right. right. So it's like, oh, people remember the, the 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 sound effect and the gold beam in and all that from TOS, and that's what Scotty beams in with. And um, although it's incorrect, I mean, you could just say the general had an old transporter. You could say that. Right? There's always an Indian universe explanation. So there you go. So that's. Uh, but I understand why they did it, and I enjoyed it. You know, just to, for that nostalgic callback, because this is you know this is the '90s. This is before nostalgia had taken over every facet of everything like it is today. <laughs> so so back then it was refreshing. Right. That was good, 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 good use of the transporter. Very cleverly done. I thought it was a very believable way to bring Scotty into that universe, and it was it was enjoyable. I mean, any time in TNG when they when they referenced or pulled back to the original series and the crew, and they they connected the dots between the two series, everybody loved it. Even if the episodes weren't you know great, it was still wonderful that they did it. So. Right, absolutely. And, and you this know, episode was really good. I did enjoy it. Yeah, this is probably in my top 10 TNG episodes, for real. Yeah. Uh, it's good on its own merits, you know. And it, it's not entirely relying on the gimmick of it being Scotty. You know, there's a lot more to it than that. But, uh, again, to, to wrap it all up here, uh, to tie back to our other points, uh, this just shows how the transporter can basically make you immortal, <laughs> you know. Like, if you have a like, – again, like, people would say uh, uh, in some sci-fi, like, oh, you have a – you have a terminal disease. We'll go into let's put you in cryogenic freeze until we find a cure for it. Right. Right. Instead, it's like, oh, let's just put you in the transporter, <laughs> right? right? And then we'll call up your pattern when we have a cure for your disease, right? Now, there's stuff about you know pattern degradation and all that. And Scotty's a genius, so that's why he could do it, not like most other people could do it. And it didn't work for his friend, you know. And actually, felt you know, even though I was joking about Franklin, right? Even though like you never, you don't even know who this guy was, I did feel kind of bad for him. It's like Scotty's friend, and he wanted to save him. Now he's all alone in this in this new in this new timeline, you know. And I and I had a thought, you know, what what if they had what if they had made that like a character we did know, like from TOS, right? Oh, like, oh no. Chekhov, Chekhov just died in the transporter pattern. You'd be like, <laughs> it, it would be like an extra like twist of the knife, and then it'd be like you kill off Chekhov like that. If really? TNG were made today, that's what they would have done. You think so? Yeah, I think so because that is the the drama that they're always looking for, right? Everything now is so powerful, and when as soon as you were going down that path, I was saying, boy, if that was Chekhov or somebody else that we hadn't seen yet uh, in or or heard about or Hura, I mean, because they were close friends, you know, something mm-hmm. along those lines. You're right. That would have been very powerful, and it would have been for the fans. They would have gone nuts. That would have been so controversial and so interesting a thought process. You know, it just would have. It would have been. It would have been um, really. It it would have been bold. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And they usually took most of their their bolder outings and waited for the movies to come. But. You're right. If that had been somebody we had known, even maybe an ancillary character, maybe a Rand or whatever, it would have mm-hmm. been very, very powerful. That's a that's a great call out, Zach. Yep. Great call out. I like that. But it's gone. We can't fix it. Just like Franklin. Just like, <laughs> just like Franklin. <laughs> Poor Franklin. Anyway, so as we as we hop now and we move into another era of of the original series and we we jump into what they call the Kelvin timeline which you know there is only one timeline but I'll get into that later um i think that the transported technology you want to talk about inconsistencies and abilities 
the Kelvin timeline is all over the map. It, it really is, um, from just its standard use to its non-use to its incredible use to its um, ineffectiveness. Um, and and I'll, I'll draw a timeline for you, right? So in the original series, you have, I'm sorry, in the, in the 09 uh, with the transporter, you have the ability to, to beam and lock onto people that are literally falling at, you know, hundreds of thousands of feet per second and, and pull them in and they, they land hard, but they, they survive. Um, their, their guts don't spill all over the transporter. However, they can't, they can't pull in Spock's mom, right? When, when the, when the cliff starts to disintegrate and they, and they lose her. So that was the first in two scenes that are very close together that it gets that gets very inconsistent. Then you have Spock from the future helps Scotty in the the prime timeline or the Kelvin timeline, which is you know, back to the prime timeline. He's already getting confused, guys. Yes, uh, developed so that they can actually beam from a station uh, to a starship that is moving at warp speed light years away right they they have that ability and of course you know scotty gets caught in the um the the wash rinse spin cycle of the engine room there and they have to pull him out of the the washing machine or whatever that was and and that was pretty interesting and pretty cool but again um pretty pretty far out right now i know it's future technology that's being utilized here but i don't recall them having that capability in tng maybe they did but i don't recall them you know well, i remember in uh I remember in the Schizoid Man. Yeah. Uh, they they beam. They're so pressed for time. <laughs> they have to start the beam out as they go to warp, right? Right. Uh, and it's like a big deal is made out. It's just it's 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 a, it's a big discussion point at the very beginning of the episode, and it's never talked about again. Right. Uh, kind of like a Jordy's visor in Heart of Glory. You know, TNG was trying these things and in, in, <laughs> in episodes and yeah. in, in the early run, but um, they beam down. And Troy says something like, oh, for a minute there, I feel like I was in the wall. And Worf's like, you were. It's like, right. what are you talking about? <laughs> but, but, but my, you know, my theory on that, because I had a similar um, comment on that when I first saw Star Trek 9. I think Scotty invented that after he came back, after Relics, the transport beaming. I think he did that in his, like, you know, it's his retirement. You know, because it is... As is established here, you know, Scotty in the past, you know, that had been kind of his 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 idea, and he had lost Admiral Archer's prize beagle, right? Uh, not Porthos, okay, uh, because Porthos would have died long ago, because dogs have a shorter lifespan, unfortunately. Uh, so Archer just was a beagle guy and had a series of beagles and whatever, and Scotty lost him. So he he kind of put that idea on the shelf, and he's probably never going to touch it again, you know, because oh no, I lost this guy dog, and now my you know career's in trouble and and whatnot. Uh, but you come back from the future, you come back 80 years, technology's better, you know, th- th- this this great, you know, idea, your life's work or whatever, not not to say that's his life's work, but this, this cool idea he had, he's like, you know, I'm going to pick this back up. So I, I feel like, you know, he, he got on his little Enterprise D shuttle and, and went off to wherever he was going to go off to. He, he went to work on this transport beaming, figured it out, and that's why uh, – we don't know about it in the TNG era, but we're talking like, you know, Nemesis era stuff. That's why old Spock knows about it. So somewhere in that movie TNG Voyager timeline, Scotty invented transport beaming, and that's how old Spock knows about it. And that is my fanboy explanation. I like that explanation. It makes a lot of sense to me because you're right. They did put future technology into the past, had to come from somewhere, had to come from Mr. Scott. And, you know, they, they throw him on the shuttle, which to me was, okay, you know, 
it's nice to have you around. Let's have this nice episode about age. Now you take this shuttle to shady nebulas and, and go invent something, right? I mean, see you later. You're, you're no good or whatever. You know, it was just odd. But uh, that, that seems to make a lot of sense to me, and, and I could see that happening. But then, that then they have this technology. I guess it's acquired by Section 31, right? They take his... They take his maps, drawings, technology, whatnot, and it's confiscated by Khan, who then uses it to transport not to a beaming ship, but across the quadrant. I don't know what you want to call it. Across the quadrant all the way to Kronos, right, from, from Earth, which if you think about that just in itself, if you, if you had that kind of technology, there would be no war with the Klingons because you're, you're just going to beam a bunch of atomic bombs over there, and that's it. That's Kronos is gone. Um, but it was just it was just odd. And then in the same movie, they can't beam like um, Khan off a moving garbage scow, but they can move them. They can beam onto the scow. And so that's what I mean. It's it's wildly inconsistent. And and here's why I think it is like that because when J.J. Abrams took over this this series. And overall, he did a great job. I, I really don't have a problem at all with, with a lot of things. But there's, when it comes to the technology aspect of it, he treated Star Trek like Star Wars, right? Where in Star Wars, we don't have a clue as to how the technology works, when it was founded. There's no science behind it, none of it, right? We don't care. It's a story of good and evil. It's, it's, a, it's a philosophical story between the Force and this and that. And I, I get it. Very, very different things. But we don't care. We just know you can go into hyperspace, and in three seconds you can pop up in any area of the of the galaxy, right? As as we saw in Force Awakens, right? They find the map to Skywalker, um, they jet out, and you know within let's say we'll give it twenty five seconds, they're they're there, right? It's it's no issue whatsoever, and that's how J.J. Abrams views things, right? The technology is not important; the story is. And the technology can be manipulated to fit the story. And so I think that is probably where the, philosoph- the philosophy of Star Trek, how it operates, um, and it being so old, 50 years old, with all these nuances, that's where he missed the boat. If somehow, some way, he drew into warp speed, because they only go to warp speed. You never hear warp factor. Right. And then they go to Kronos, you know, it takes it takes whatever, 20 seconds to get from the Klingon border to to 200,000 off Earth, 200,000 miles off Earth. Just crazy stuff that that drove us nuts. And I think they did the same thing with the transporter technology. They just played with it to suit the story because they figure, oh, fans will just enjoy the story and we'll get into it. Nay, nay, Mr. Abrams. <laughs> Star Trek is loaded with with a lot of us, including myself, that love the continuity of the technology and how things are supposed to work, and it pulls us out of the story, and that's where he messed up. I don't think it was deliberate. I just don't think he thought it was a big deal, and it turned out to be a big deal. At least it was for me. I, I it, was, it was maddening um, at times uh, when, when those things were, were done. So. Well, Into Darkness, right, has solved a problem of transportation because you have the transporter that can take you anywhere. Right. It's also solved the problem of death, the magic blood. <laughs> so it's like it negates, super blood. All, yeah, super it blood. negates all drama moving forward, and that's why uh, Beyond kind of ignores it. Yeah. Uh, not, 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 not that it contradicts it, but it just kind of carries on because Beyond is like a better sequel to 09 than Into Darkness was for sure. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, and things I made mean, sense. Yeah, and things made sense, right? Even the use of the transporter technology. Yeah, having to have the um, signal booster 
You know, mm-hmm. I think that was great. And, you know, something else I wanted to say as we as we kind of wind down our discussion here about these transporters is uh, it's such a sophisticated technology. Like, I can I can totally believe, like, you can go from one chamber to another. You know, like, oh, my transporter is going to connect with your transporter, and that's how I'm going to, like, get here and there. Right. But to transport, like, to nowhere, like, to some random barren planet, right, and then to come back, you know, with, with no with no kind of receiver transmitter on the other end, that to me is probably the most unbelievable thing out of anything, you know. Uh, it's one thing when you step in this chamber on, on the Enterprise and, and it does all its thing and it beams you down, but to have it like remotely do that and pull you back, um, and you know, I, I, that would have constrained their storytelling a lot. I understand that. And the transporter was only invented to the fact that ship wouldn't have to land, right? But I think from a, from a real, like if Battlestar Galactica did a transporter, right? Not that it ever would. But I'm just saying, like, what it would do is, like, okay, you can step in this chamber here, and then you appear in this chamber on this other place. But you would never, like, go down to a planet with – you understand what I'm saying? I do. I think that's where in my – okay, here's my fanboy, right, my, <laughs> my, my logic. That's why when you're around an orbiting planet or something along those lines, it's effective because it has a range. It can beam you up and it can pull you back, but that's it. Right. Anything further requires another chamber or another transporter, in theory. Mm. And I think it adds a, a level of safety. Like when they're doing ship to ship, they beam transporter room to transporter room. Okay. Now, that changed a lot in TNG. Let's be honest. You know, they were intership beaming, um, they beamed right to sick bay. You know, it, it started to change the game a little bit as the technology got better. And I think for all the right reasons. But I do understand what you're saying. But that's how I always leveled the playing field in my head is, yep. You're limited. If you're in orbit and you're in a spot, we can get you. If you're if you go too far, we cannot. You know, obviously. And if shields are up, you can't beam through shields either. Interesting, right? Um, so there's a lot of a lot of constraints that were on it, but those constraints seem to get more murky as time goes on. Hmm. You know, you mentioned the shield thing, and uh, I know I know we already talked about relics, but that might be my favorite Star Trek transporter continuity problem you know you know how the janolan is holding open the doors for the dyson sphere with its shields yep and picard's like fire torpedoes energize you know so they they beam scotty and jordy through the shields of the janolan perhaps they looked through jordy's visor and saw the shield frequency of the janolan and was able to beam through that but i just thought like they make such a big deal out of like you know the shields being where holding open this door I mean, yet that is how they beam Scotty and Jordy back to the Enterprise. So just throwing that out there. Yeah, it was it was an it was an interesting call because you know from my point of view, I was like, did they need to destroy it or could they just hit it with a tractor beam and pushed it forward? You know, Ooh, yeah, yeah. that's true. But um, anyway, they, they they went with the effects, and I like the effects. Like make things go boom makes Ken happy. So so, you know, so it's all that to say, the Kelvin timeline is not alone in its inconsistency. The the inconsistency of Star Trek is something that has been universal since day one. So it's just, it's just all it is is embracing that, Ken. It so. is embracing that they just <laughs> they just consolidate it, right, into a couple of movies and you go to these extremes within the movies. But but, but right. I totally agree with you though. JJ Abrams is he's more Star Wars than Star Trek mm-hmm. and he does he's not he, he does not care about the minutia like like we do. No, no. And I don't think Nicholas Meyer was like that. A lot of people were. They just yeah, we're just going to go with this and People kept him within a, a, a nice little comfortable area, and I think they attempted to do that with, with J.J. to a point, but he was just more focused on the story. And there's nothing wrong with that. If, you're, if you come into Star Trek and you're not a big fan of Star Trek, that's why you know, there's a reason why Into Darkness is the highest um, 
uh, money making, you know, the highest grossing film of all the Star Treks. There's mm-hmm. a reason for it, you know, because it's a, it's, it's an incredible adventure and all this other stuff. But all of us Trekkies go, eh. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So we kind of push it away. Well, I will say this to wrap up our Kelvin timeline talk. I, uh, if, if we if we do get a fourth one, which I which I hope we do, I certainly uh, hope so. I hope we don't do the whole oh we're falling, we're gonna hold hands and jump and land hard on the transporter pad again. I I, I could not agree with Kirk more and beyond when he says let's never do that again. <laughs> Because we did it already in 09. Do we have to do Like, I remember when I saw the trailer for Beyond, I was kind of skeptical. Because we're coming off, you know, we're coming off into darkness. Right. And, and, they, and they're using this, you know, this, this rock song, you know. And, and they're showing, like, yeah, I'm Captain Kirk on a motorcycle. I'm like, what, what is this going to be? From the director of Fast and Furious, you kidding me? Uh, it turned out great. We love Beyond around here in these parts. So mm-hmm. my cynicism was proven wrong. Thank you, Star Trek. But at the time, I was like, really? We're doing that? We did this trick before. Like, are we just going to do it again? Um, and it was fine in the execution of the movie. It was an emotional moment. He saved Jayla. That was great. So in context, it worked. But seriously, I don't want to see that anymore. <laughs> the hard landing on the transporter pad, right? That's right. Yeah. No, in, in theory, if you're beaming out somebody and they're falling at a certain rate, that doesn't stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, mean, I like the fact that the glass breaks and things happen when they do land like that. But, yeah, I, I mean, uh, unless there's some other effect that allows them to give them a soft landing or to have their guts catch up with their bot i don't know we're going down a bad path it's the same science that allows superman to catch you while you're falling (laughs) although he should like if he's really his arm should crush you you know unless he matches your speed exactly you know that's right that's right yeah it's it's sci-fi science it's great isn't it yes it is it is but anyway hey good stuff i like that so you have one last question to ask go ahead yes ken I've, i've all the entire star trek timeline what is your favorite transporter effect Hmm. Even though this was coming, I've been thinking about it quite a bit. I would say it would have to be the ILM generated effects in two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, the original effect was great for its time. I, I thought it was it was really good. Star Trek: The Motion Picture was kind of cool. It had like this blue hue around you, and yeah, you the, could the beam, you, the pillar could, of light. And all like yep, that. and you could kind of see the atoms popping in there. You know, it was kind of neat. But I like the. Um, I like the way ILM did it with the, the 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 extreme beams of energy and the light that comes together. It, it was really really well done, I thought, and uh, I didn't like the sound effects of it as much. I thought it was over the top, but I really liked the effect itself. How about yourself? Yeah, the uh, I know you're talking about the horizontal vertical beams. You know that, mm-hmm. that that that's a good look for the movies, but. With me, you know, being a child of the next generation, I'm going to have to go with next gen. I know it's sacrilege here. It's not sacrilege. On, on, on Stafford Orbit, but <laughs> I do like to when I think of the transporter, that's what I think of. I think of, you know, the the, the white and blue little, you know, uh, dots flying around, you know, and, uh, and and I think that really visualize, like you're talking about, you know, seeing the atoms and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I think that really visualizes what's going on. You see it like someone being broken down on a molecular level and being reassembled and, um, uh, that, that that's my favorite. I mean, that, when I think of the transporter, I think of that sound effect. I think of that visual effect, and that's my transporter. So when they changed it some for the even the TNG movies, I'm like, why did you do that? It was fine. It was perfect. Like you know, or even you know when D Space Nine changed it, it was because it was the Cardassian technology. And I thought, oh, that's smart. Like we get a new effect, sure. but it's because it's a different technology. But right. all the Starfleet stuff, like the runabouts and whatnot, had the same transport effect. But then Voyager, they changed it, and I'm like, why did you change it? Like I I didn't need you to change it. <laughs> 
<laughs> you just left it the same. So Jeez, I didn't. What did they do different? Uh, honestly, and I've I've watched plenty of Voyager, but I guess I never picked up the thing. Well, the so. main thing Voyager's transport has different. It has these like blue orbs that kind of go in a vertical. It's like this line of blue vertical vertical circles or orbs that kind of okay just go up up and up and up. Like the next time you watch Voyager you, and they use the transport, you'll see it's like this this conveyor belt of blue orbs, basically I'll pay, vertical. I'll pay conveyor closer belt. attention, yeah. Um, and they kind of lay that on top of the TNG transport effect and make everything a little bit more blue. And I'm like, okay, that's that's fine, I guess. But uh, I just left it this. See, a typical Star Trek fan. I complain when they change things. I complain when they don't change things. Just can't be satisfied, kid. So. Nope. <laughs> nope. Welcome to the club. Your membership right. is secure, buddy. <laughs> well, that was fun conversation. We we many tangents, many many lines of thought there. Uh, but the transport is very. It's ripe for conversation, you know, uh, on just a on a technical level, on a metaphysical level, on just a just a fun what if level, uh, and yeah, that was a, that was a fun conversation there, Ken. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a yeah. You know, it's it's so cool that we keep coming up with these things to talk about, and then we can still get excited about it. So, like I said, when you guys are listening to this five months from now during the hiatus of Discovery, I hope you enjoy this episode. <laughs> Man, our numbers for for uh, December and January are going to be huge. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> and I do appreciate both you and Chris and Tim out there listening to the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, talking about the transporter isn't the only thing that's been going on this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Literary Treks. The hardest thing I've ever done, I mean, as a tie-in writer, reconciling canonical differences or apparent canonical differences is one of those things where as a tie-in writer, you, you learn, you see it, and instead of getting angry about it the way a fan does, you look at it and you go, oh, that's a story possibility. How do I explain that? What do I do with that? The 602 Club. I don't know. There's just something completely different about this movie than anything I've seen this year and maybe in a long time. Um, and, and maybe it's just, I feel like this movie just takes the time to do all of that stuff. Um, and it's not afraid to be art. Warp 5. And good to know that you have already failed one of my questions for Something Geek. There's, there's, there's five <laughs> Zindi that are still alive and one species that's extinct. He's not okay, that bright. Like Jot that down. I thought there were eight. I've always thought there were eight. See, it was confusing. I'm confused. (laughs) To the journey! I kind of figured he would just be able to, like, make another mobile emitter for the doctor. (laughs) Wouldn't he? He'd use his nanoprobes for that. Yeah. Right, put some nanoprobes on the job. They'll make the doctor a new mobile emitter. Yeah, exactly. Lickety split. Can I have my mobile emitter? Oh, yeah. He never asked, though, did he? <laughs> no, he didn't. If he'd asked him, he'd just been like, oh, yeah, here you go. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well.
If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and of course in the Babel Conference type Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at Trek FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron on the network on Patreon. If you visit Patreon slash Trek FM, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM, you'll find the current goals and different milestone contributions along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details on patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our great associate producers for Standard Orbit. Norman Lau, Tim Robertson, Nick Anastasio, Richard Marquez, and Corey Elrod. Yes, thank you guys so much for your support for both Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Uh, so, Ken, if people want to find you out there on the internet, where can they find you? Hey, you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference and engaging people when I when I have the opportunity. You can also find me on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is at Boston SCPO, and we uh, we like to tweet out all our new episode information as soon as we get it, as well as well as our colleagues. So, look for me there. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H, and I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman series from the early 2000s, and you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>